Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey everyone, Jeremy Scheinwald here with another Smart People Should Build Things Venture for America podcast. This week we're excited to do something a little different, change things up. We're broadcasting a panel from San Antonio Startup Week, a five-day celebration that was planned and executed by a Venture for America fellow. Look at some of the fun opportunities that fellows have. San Antonio has a vibrant startup scene and is one of 15 cities that Venture for America fellows live and work in. We're thrilled to highlight some of the lessons coming out of startups in San Antonio. In the startup world, failure happens, and who knows that better than a company founder? This week, you'll hear a panel entitled, Founder Fireside Chat, Learning from Mistakes, Pivots, and Failure. From losing major clients to handling customer service nightmares, these panelists have seen it all. Our panel, is, our panel consists of Magali Chicano, CEO of Swab Development. Magali talks about being on the precipice of something huge, missing an opportunity, and finding happiness nonetheless. And why not? She has a rapidly growing and exciting firm in Sweb. And notably, she employs VFA fellow extraordinaire Catherine Lowen. Magali is a friend of VFA. Another friend of VFA, Lorenzo Gomez, CEO of Geekdom, which is a collaborative workspace in San Antonio that also employs a fellow, is on the panel. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting Lorenzo. He's quite a character, and he talks candidly about the need for contrarians on your team, people who will speak truth to power. Jason Strawn. CEO and engineer for Grok Interactive talks about the pain of founder splits and the need to pass the Ted Stevens airport test. I'll let you listen for what that is. Notably, the host, the quite capable Paul Flav of uh, Texas Public Radio, uh, does rebut the uh, Ted Stevens airport test because he spent time in Anchorage and loves that airport. Melissa Unsell, vice president and founding member of Illumicore. Um, she rounds out our panel, shares a fascinating anecdote about how she got everything right by designing her product and service, not just with her core customer in mind, but with her core customer alongside, literally helping her every step of the way to make sure that she got what they needed right for them. These are just a few of the anecdotes. These are my favorites. My hope is that I can attend the event next year. Uh, meanwhile, enjoy the panel just as I did. See you next week with another entrepreneurial biography. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Uh, thank you so much for coming. This is uh, another uh, many Startup Week events. This one is, is uh, I feel especially connected to because it's about failure. And uh, it's the first time in my life I've felt like I can really, really dive into a subject and moderate it well. So thanks for being here for that. Um, my name is Paul Flavin with Texas Public Radio. Uh, this is called Fi Founder Fireside Chats, Learning from Mistakes, Pivots, and Failures is in the name of this session. Uh, I don't need to tell you guys that startups are hard. Um, I'm sure you all know that. Nine out of ten startups fail is a number I've read and had confirmed by several people I've talked to about this. In fact, a recent study from CB Insights showed that it tracked the progress of a thousand startups from, 19, from 2009 to, to 2015, so six years. All of the startups had made had been initially seeded with $500,000 and three quarters of them no longer exist today. So only 40% of them were able to get a second round of funding. That's right. And about 22% of them uh, were bought up or were offered an IPO. So they exited that way. And I think only about 0.9% uh, have a valuation of, you know, we're that unicorn status, that thing you guys are all chasing, um, <laughs> that $1 billion valuation. So. Uh, I don't need to tell you. Like I said, it's hard. Does anyone have a guess as to the reason, the biggest reason why startups fail? Parking. Parking. <laughs> no. Way down on the list, maybe. I don't know. 
1%. Anybody else? So money. No, you're saying not enough customers. So product, market, you know, valuation, the, 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 the market wanting their product. That's absolutely correct. 42% of uh, CEOs in their postmortems last year listed uh, that as the reason why their company failed, was that they, their product um, was not selling. They did not have the right product or, you know, it wasn't painted the right color uh, or whatever. The other was they didn't have enough cash in the bank. Um, the last one was team. Their team, they felt, was not what they, uh, what they thought they needed to succeed. So the best thing about this thing is we get to rely on these people to tell us how, you know, how do we, how do we not fail? How do we know when we're failing? Because if you knew it was a mistake, you wouldn't have made it. So let's, uh, let's welcome our panel. We've got uh, Jason you want to start and just introduce all the way down? Sure. Uh, my name is Jason Strawn. I'm the CEO of Grok Interactive, also a co-founder of CODA. Lorenzo. I'm uh, Lorenzo Gomez, and I work for Geekdom. My name is Magali Chocano, and I'm the founder of Sweb Development. Good evening, everyone. My name is Melissa Unsel, and I'm the founder of Illumicore. So... Yeah, we know who you are. That's great. Um, it's going to get real intimate, I think, tonight. Yeah, it is. You're going to tell us some things that maybe, you know, you're embarrassed about. Uh, this is why I'm glad I'm on this side. I chose a stand away from the table. Um, so we know that it's hard to fail. We know something about why it fails. Uh, Jason, I asked you this. We did a little pre-call last week. I asked you this on the, on the phone. Nine out of 10 startups fail. Do you believe that's true? Absolutely. And you said, actually, I think it's actually. I think it's actually higher, right? I mean, it's probably, those statistics are coming off of startups that rose, uh, raised at least a half a million dollars. My mic's falling. Um, but you think the overall, the people that go out and, and take a stab at this, it's probably much higher than nine out of 10. And so, I guess the question is, and, and I'm going to go Magali to you because we, we've, I know a little bit about your backstory, um, how you had a real hit on your hands. Your company had created something, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about that, and then what happened next, and then we can talk about why. Yeah. So I had no funding and bootstrapped my entire operation and actually had created the first online platform to build your own iPhone application in 2009 called Sweb Apps, although the mother company was called Sweb Development. And so I just had that idea and did it and then launched it. Um, the only really smart thing I did was hire a great PR firm out of San Francisco. And they launched me basically to stardom and then I didn't know what to do with it. And so then I fucked up and <laughs> that's where the failure comes in. But, but then there was also a great, wonderful thing that happened from it. Which was? My company today. So you were able to, I guess the word, I, I, they sometimes use this pivot, or pivot at least the attention right. that you were initially getting into a successful web development company, Sweb. Right. So, yeah, basically what happened, and I, and I think it would be really unfair of me to say that I pivoted versus that the, that the industry pivoted me. And so... Basically, all the companies would say, well, if you can build this, we want you to build something else. And so I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. We can do anything, right? Because we always say that we can do anything. And so I'm like, yeah, of course. And so then that's how my company grew. And so we left the product on the side and really grew our company. And so the enthusiasm you have for, you know, that CEOs are want to have, they yeah. need to be always project projecting success. Yeah. So at what point... Did you think, you know what, this is not going well. This is not succeeding. And how did you deal with that? Well, it was funny because we just recently, actually just a few months ago, shut it down. And, and it was more of an emotional attachment on my end. So um, my team members were like, look, we need to let it go. And I was like, no, it's my baby. This is what we're going to, you know. And I was like, then they were like, no, but we can't support it. And I was like, I don't. 
care. And, you know, I mean, really, I mean, I was just a two-year-old screaming. And so finally, you know, my VP of product development said, look, I'm not going to maintain it for you, so you figure it out. And I was like, okay, well, that's good. Then we're going to have to shut down. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, that's how it went down. It wasn't a product that was making us any money at the time, but it was a wonderful marketing tool for us for many years. So was there, any, was there ever a, a moment when you were thinking to yourself, okay, this, but this is not working? And I need, yeah, or was no, it just course. like, oh, there's all this other business million, over here, let me chase that. A million times, a million times. I mean, as soon as like, a million times. So when we developed the product in 2009, there wasn't, there wasn't responsive design in web. So you had to build, a, you know, to have any apps, you had to build your own. So there wasn't a system like mine. So I actually democratized the ability to have people build their own apps. It was totally revolutionary. Plus build the CMS that you could change the, you know, all your content online, like right there in real time. That didn't exist. And so, but what happened is that technology, obviously, and everybody knows, moves so quickly. We had a lot of investors interested. I mean, I had like calls from Bain Capital. I was like, and they were like, we're a VC funding firm. And I was like, what's VC? <laughs> like I was that level of like that level of ignorance. And I, I couldn't respond. You know, I had my brother who was a banker on the other line, like, oh, what is he saying? <laughs> I'm not too sure. Okay, let's figure it out. Like Googling. it was that ridiculous. Like the chances I had, like I think back now and I'm like, whoa, you know, this could have gone very differently for me, you know? And what, if you had had like, say, uh, your brother on your, you know, your management team from the beginning, do you think that it would have gone differently? Yes, I think it would have gone differently, but I also think that the industry has changed so much since the idea came out that web has, you know, web has really changed the way that we see mobile applications today. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it would have been fine, but it would have been something that in a way I don't regret it at all because my company today, which I love, wouldn't have been formed. Right. And so today I'm much more happy with what I'm doing than I think would have been like maintaining a product. Well, I'm interested in, in diving. I'm going to ignore all the part you said after. Yeah, maybe it would have gone different if it had a different team because I want to focus on team um, and, and how important it can be because it's listed as, you know, the number three reason. So, Jason, uh, you work with some startups. You, you know, you've done some mentorship. When you look at a team, what brings you red flags? Wow, that's a great question. Um, Thanks, and my mic Thanks. continues to fall. I'll fix that. Um, <clears throat> I mean, definitely there's got to be some cohesion between the team. Uh, I think the worst thing that can happen to a startup is co-founder divorce, right? Like when the co-founders split, there's usually nothing left. So you have to make sure, you know, the thing that Girdley talks about a lot, and I, I like the way Michael puts things into perspective, is when you're talking to somebody that's either going to be a co-founder or a key person in a team, I think ask yourself, what would it be like to be stuck in the Anchorage airport with this person <laughs> for seven days, right? Like, could I, could I stand being locked up with them? Because <clears throat> you're going to be practically married throughout that startup. You're gonna spend more time with your co-founder than you probably do with your family, at least during parts of that startup cycle. So I think the other thing that's really important is to make sure that people are a good fit in those key person or, uh, roles. And I mean a team fit, because I think skills can be learned, skills can be acquired. They need to have the basic skills necessary. Um, but really having that fit-in factor is much bigger. Again, it goes to the point that you're gonna be stuck with this person for a long time. If they don't know, you know a, a particular part about accounting or marketing or whatever, there's a book to go read on that, but there's not the book of being like, don't be an asshole. Um, <laughs> I would have bought it. By yeah, I, yeah I would have owned several copies yeah. for sure. Well, uh, I guess, so you're saying, is, is it just a person? You, first of all, Ted Stevens International Airport in Anchorage, Alaska is a beautiful airport with free Wi-Fi. Um, so let's not, get, let's not go there. Let's just not make assumptions about Alaska. But um, I'm interested in your idea, because I mean, when I think about that, you know, I said to you, you were on the phone call first last week, and I said, hey, Jason, you know how I know you're an engineer? And you said, what? And I said, you're the, you, oh. you submitted the shortest bio of anyone <laughs> on the team. And, and I think that speaks to maybe a little bit of a pushback for, for you, which is, I don't know if you can, you can say that marketing and personableness can be taught. Um, and maybe that is something that's a little bit more 
and grown. I don't know. No, just, and that might have been a, a bad example there. But I mean, a lot of the skills can be brought on board, but you can't fix the fit in factor. Okay. That is super important. And I've seen too many startups either fail or go to the brink of disaster because the key people in the company, whether co-founders or not, couldn't get along. And that kills more organizations than not having the right skill. Okay. That's and then you Lorenz- should start it yeah, on your ahead. own. <laughs> <laughs> Lorenzo, I mean, you're around, you know, budding entrepreneurs, folks that really want to make it and uh, are starting their teams right now. What do you think about what Jason says? What do you think about the team? What is it? What, how, what makes it great? And what are the, like I said, what are the red flags? Well, I think uh, there's so many things that are against you to begin with. The first one is nobody, there are very few people that are like Nick Longo, which is being the dream killer. And I think everybody needs someone that you can deputize to speak truth and really be critical because your friends are going to tell you, dude, it's a great idea. Even when they think, when, when in the back of the mind they're going, uh, I'm not, I would never download that app, bro. And your mom's going to tell you you're handsome because she has to tell you you're handsome. And she's going to tell you that your app is awesome and that you've got a great idea. And so most of the people in your network are going to try to be very soft and gentle with you. And there, but you have to find the person that will say, I love you, but th- there's nothing there. Or you haven't really thought about that. Or no one's gonna buy that. Or try to go sell that to someone. And I think that getting past that, that's, to me that's one of the red flags, is if all you've done is asked your circle, you're, that, to me that's a red flag. You have to go beyond your circle and you have to have someone who can, who's dep- deputized to really rip your idea apart. So that's when, I mean, I, I will second what Jason said about chemistry because there's, you know, you have chemistry and you don't. and. Um, I've been a part of a very destructive founder team where that was really the main reason we decided to shut it down was because the founders, it was just so poisonous that you didn't want to be around it. And really, the founding team sets the tone for the entire company. It all starts at the top and it rolls down. If you, you know, talk trash about your co-founder, all your employees see that talking trash is the way to do it. And so there's a lot of things that, that you have to that you have to really start on a on a fair on, you have to start on the right foot when you're starting it. So to me those are just two red flags that I see you know, in the ecosystem. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Melissa, I haven't talked to you yet. Hello. Tell us what Illumicore does, and uh, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, about uh, market and how you know how to go after a market and how you make sure, like he said, you want to make sure your product is needed. You want to make sure that your product, you know, someone has told you that uh, it's valuable. You guys went after a very specific market, and it was after a lot of rumination. So tell us like, what it does, what it is you do, and who you go after. And Sure. Um, I think we have a unique story because we've been in business since 2000, Illumicore has. And to keep it simple, we basically manage electronic data that goes through litigation. So we have this fancy-pantsy you know, enterprise software system, software as a service. It's really... Uh, big and serves a really niche market. Um, but I'll tell you, we being business for 16 years, we've really experienced um, some immense challenges and some immense successes. Um, one of our challenges really started back in 2011 when we lost one of our biggest clients. They were over 70% of our revenue. Uh, so first mistake, don't have one client that is over any 50% of your revenue at all, a big mistake. Um, But no, we lost a client and that actually made us take a step back and we had an opportunity to evaluate an opportunity for growth and we actually consider ourselves almost like a restart because what we've done, which uh, Paul has alluded to, is we actually found a feature in our enterprise tool set that allowed us to spin off an additional product. And that product is a redaction tool that basically secures and privatizes your personally identifiable information, such as social security numbers, account numbers, email addresses, right? So we're protecting personal data. 
And we learned that we had an opportunity to really go beyond the legal market, right? We are legal experts and we are experts at manipulating data. We can handle unstructured data. We really excel at that. And so we thought, all right, let's make a product and let's do kind of alluding to what Magali experienced. Her experience was completely opposite. But what we did is we took a product and we decided, and this took months, we took about three to four months and finally had this aha moment of which we decided we can really empower paralegals because paralegals are the law firms in the, the people in the law firms that are performing their redaction. They're mostly women and they're typically unempowered, right? They have hard jobs and long hours. So we took that market and here we are, an enterprise SaaS business, morphing and adding a philosophy of our business that's a product company. That's a pretty bold move. That's something we've never done, something we've never navigated before. So we put the product online. You can go online and download it right now. We launched an ad campaign, and I will tell you, that is the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, not having experience in that and really finding the opportunity to get early adopters uh, was really interesting for us. I will say that when you're building a tool or a product, we talked about in the beginning not having sales, one of the number one reasons to fail. You have to build what your customers need. You cannot build what you think your customers want or what you think they need. You have to get out there and really know what they need and what they require. That's one of the things we actually excelled at. We got out of the box. We actually enlisted a local paralegal focus group uh, from some of the biggest law firms in town, and they actually helped us build our tool. They looked at our enterprise software and said, we want these four or five features to be in a desktop tool that we can use. That was a great exercise for us. We built a product that those people needed. What's important to note there is no time was wasted. We didn't waste time building a functionality that we thought or assumed would be needed. So we launched the product. We have our early adopters. We did a good job at adopting paralegals. But then we got to a point where we really wanted to scale and we reached really a block. Um, if you are, I, I'm a big fan of a book called The Four Steps to Epiphany and I used that a lot because it really talks about finding your product market fit and it also talks about this chasm. So when you launch a product, when you launch an app, you always are going to have these early adopters or these people that want to be the first to use your technology. But then to reach the mainstream market, that sweet spot where you're going to get revenue and make revenue, you have to cross a huge chasm. And that's where Illumicore is right now. We are in this clux of trying to cross that chasm, and it is difficult. And you have to get to a point where you can really do that. So building the tool, not wasting time, really learning from the clients was extremely important for us. So right now, you're at a pivotal moment. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I want to know uh, what's, what's, what, is the, what is the chasm? Like, what is it that you need just hitting the mainstream? It is and what really, do you think it's going to take to hit the mainstream? It's cultivating and validating the customer and then basically building a scalable, repeatable online sales process. And we have not hit our sweet spot there yet. And is there anything that you think, golly, if I had a million dollars and I could do X, uh, you would do right now to kind of push that? Would Absolutely. it be a team member? Would it be, you know, you, like you said, you said there was some, launching that ad campaign was something you weren't experienced with. Mm -hmm. Would that have been something that like you would have said, fuck, get somebody in here to do that for me? Absolutely. Not on the air so I can cut. Absolutely. So, you know, even though we're a 16-year-old company, we've been as small as four, as big as 14. Right now we're six people. I would love to have a digital marketer. That's like, they are just there, like the growth hacker, right? Just get in there, talk to the people online, and make it happen. I'm interested in, in getting your perspective on this, Jason. Uh, when you listen to her talk about the level of, uh, you know, 
thoughtfulness that went into the product and not just within their core group, but out there, is that what you're preaching to the folks you talk to or is it, is that even above and beyond what you're talking about? No, I think it's, you know, a perfect example of what you should do. Uh, like Lorenzo was saying, we started out, the worst thing you can do is just go to your beer drinking buddies and your family because they're going to say, yeah, your app's awesome. You got the next Facebook Uber killer. <laughs> um, but actually going out and doing some customer development, talking to the people that could potentially be your actual customers, the people that would pay the $3.99 on the app store, or the $500 off the you know, shelf or whatever it is you're, you're trying to market or sell, they're going to be the ones that tell you, like she said, what the four features are. One of the biggest challenges I have when we're either mentoring a startup or taking one on as a client is they say, well, here are the 17 features that we have. They're going to make our app awesome. And it's like, that's great. Pick three. Like, what are the three we're going to build? The first version of Microsoft Word lets you put letters on a screen and print them, right? And that's what it did. And it disrupted and revolutionized an entire industry, right? Then we got word processors, like little machines that did it. Now it's just part of what we expect from a computer. And the point of that, though, is I think, look at that first version. It didn't have 17 million buttons. How do you figure out what those three features are? Exactly that. You go talk to who your demographic is, who your customer is. Let them tell you, these are the features we need. But not only in a product, I think in a company as well. Like if you're not building a product and you're a company, you can have those same qualities, right? Three or four things that you think are incredibly beneficial to clients that don't exist, number one. And then the other thing to that I would say is on the marketing front is <clears throat> one of the things that was super successful and again I you know I didn't really plan it I'm not a planner but <laughs> I'm a little <laughs> impulsive to say the least but I think that one of the things that I did really right and now if I could do it again I would do it again is the whole thinking outside of the box right it's like I needed I knew I needed <clears throat> to get my product out there and I had two choices one is I could get a lawyer and try to get you know an IP started, whatever. Or with that money, I could literally Google top 10 tech PR agencies in the United States, which is what I ended up doing. And I literally wrote an email to info at atomicpr.com and said, the subject line, I have the next big thing. <laughs> that was my subject line. The CEO called me that afternoon. And that afternoon, we had a conversation. I am also quite convincing. And that afternoon, I showed him what we had, the product that we had, and he said, I'll take you on. And those were the guys that took us literally from zero. Oh, so I was closing the company a month in. My husband almost, well, actually lost his job. I mean, it was crazy. I was, there was nothing there. And they, I mean, if you know anything about PR, which I didn't, and I learned from them, there's like top tier, which is like Time Magazine, New York Times, you know, Wall Street Journal. Then you have second tier, which was at the time Mashable, TechCrunch, and then you have everybody else, like, you know, everybody else. And so, and they were like, look, if you get one hit, if you get one hit in top tier, you're in business. And I was like, awesome, that's great. We got 12 hits of which 11 wrote about us. I mean, I was literally flying to New York like three times in two weeks to like get interviewed by a damn Oprah magazine, like Time Magazine, Wall Street Journal, Business Week, Fox Business News, ABC News. I mean, it was insane. So when I tell you that we went from zero to 100, that three month stint and $20,000 took us from zero. So it didn't in a way, yes, the product is very important, but also what you do with it and how you market yourself. Because at the end, even if you've built something that's a piece of shit, the product, the people will tell you what they want, and then you can kind of fix it. Sorry, I know. So get it to market. Get it to market and be smart about it. Like do something different. Don't stay local. Sorry. I'm interested in that. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, like Jason was saying spend a lot of time trying to add a bunch of features. Yeah. And that is not what you want to do. Is that what I'm hearing? I've no. literally started radio shows, but I don't, have never built a product. I've never built you know, a company. So I'm asking genuinely out of ignorance, feel free to answer any of you. Get it to market, 
question mark? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the thing that we tout over and over, and most people that are in startup has heard this a billion times, MVP, minimum viable product. And the M is far more important than the V. Like Magalay was saying, if, if you can get the minimal out there and people buy it, you can fix the viable, yeah. right? I mean, let's remember Twitter and their fail whale. Um, if having <laughs> bugs is going to keep things from being huge, Twitter would have never made it. I mean, but despite not being able to scale, despite not being able to hold the, the or to handle the kind of volume that they were getting early on in their days, they had something that the market wanted. They got a minimal product out there. They've rewritten the whole thing since, but they were able to make it through the viable part. And I mean, it has to be more than just demoware. It has to work on some level, but you don't have to wait until it's just perfectly polished and ready for 10 million users. I mean, that's just not the way things start. Does that? They say that was the difference between Steve and, and, and Gates. Is Steve was a perfectionist, and he said the product had to be perfect before it got out there. And Gates said, just get it out there, and we'll make it on the third try. Sorry, I heard. Yeah, quite possibly. I don't know, but. Uh, you know, there for a long time, Microsoft was dominating. So as much as I like to see Apple where they are. So I am um, guess I'm interested in finding out. Um, I mean, we, we definitely want to get into the failures um, because I I'm think people are interested in how you guys failed. Um, so I guess what I want to know is just how can a person, because I think the, a lot of the times when you talk to these companies later on, they think, they say to themselves, uh, you know, they have a pretty, when you read these, I have a few of these postmortems, and they're, they're very honest. They're crazy, like, about how they know exactly what went wrong, but they didn't know it at the time. So how do you guys advise people to figure out or to empower someone else outside of your group to tell them, to tell you when you're failing, when things aren't going right? Because you're a CEO you have to be positive because your company, you know, everyone else is taking their, you know, emotional cues from you at some level. So how do you, how do you know you're failing or how do you get someone involved that can tell you when you're failing? So uh, I'll take, so quick summary on my failure. I love it. It's, uh, it's, a, it's my badge of honor. It's a, it was a startup, so I left Rackspace to go to an SEO startup called City Voice. And I was one of the, probably the first 100 rackers from the from the original days that left to to try it again and I remember we took a huge amount of ridicule I remember there was a finance guy that said oh these guys they think you know lightning's gonna strike twice and for me it was just like I just like I just realized I'm a small company guy I'm not I just was not built for the bureaucracy of a big machine and I didn't care so we went we went to this company and I was there for about a little less than a year and we were, I, when I entered the company, we were $2 million into a $3 million round. And so we had about you know $900,000 left. We were burning a lot every month. And the CEO and I, who was a good friend of mine, we, we set some revenue goals, we set some churn goals, we set an NPS goal. And NPS has always been my way of validating your product. It's, it's you know, will you, would you refer someone, would you refer my product to someone? Because you're putting your reputation on the line. And so it's just a really helpful tool. So we set out, we kicked butt, we hit every single goal that we set out to hit. And at the end of that nine months, we were about to run out of money and the CEO and I went outside for a cigarette break, which I'm not proud of, I don't smoke anymore. And, uh, and we kind of looked at each other and we said, we should shut this down, shouldn't we? And the, and the reason we wanted to shut it down was, I mean, there's such a long list of things, but the, number one, um, I absolutely did not trust the founders of the company. And, I, and I, looked at, I looked at them and I said, I spent 10 years at Rackspace. I started when I was 20. I left when I was 30, I gave them my best years. I gave them my college experience. And I went, am I gonna give 10 years to these three clowns? Mm. And I went, there's no way. These dudes do not inspire me. These dudes do not. I will not charge a hill and die with these three guys. And there was a whole bunch of other reasons for that. But the other thing that we realized is we finally found our niche. So our niche was plumbers and AC guys. SEO, right? I mean, they, there's riches and niches, folks. And, and there, was a, there was a plumber that would spend almost $100,000 a month to own the term AC repair in San Antonio in the mm. summer. Just think about that for a second. Um, because when your AC breaks in the summer, you're getting a new AC, right? He's going to sell you a new AC. And so we, we had identified our correct product. But I realized that the team that we had built 
was not the team to scale it. And I realized that the team that I was under were not the people that I wanted to lead me. And I did not want to be in a long-term marriage with these guys. And we had some of the original Rackspace investors that were waiting to give us money. As a matter of fact, one of the original Rackspace investors was a customer of ours. And we were totally killing it for him. And he loved us. And he, he kept saying, when can I write you a check? And, and it was actually this investor that, made, that forced the issue. And my friend Matt and I said, I don't want to take this guy's money because my gut tells me this is going to end badly. And I don't want to look bad to this guy. So we called this guy and said, we're going to shut this company down. And we're not going to take your money. And we'll get you on the next round. And we want a lot of street credit for that. But it was literally, uh, so two of the hardest conversations of my career, which I'd never want to do again, but I'm happy they're on my, you can endorse me on LinkedIn for them, uh, is getting the entire company in a room, which, was the, which is actually the original conference room of the original Geekdom on the 11th floor, and we fired everybody. We literally, and these were people that I had recruited from six-figure jobs at Rackspace and said, come join our merry band of misfits. And the second conversation, which is the worst, is calling every single customer and saying, I'm shutting this company down and your business is in jeopardy and I need to move you somewhere else. And so for me, I feel like there were so many red flags, but at some point you just, you just, you just have to, so there's a great book by a guy named Ben Horowitz that I recommend everybody read ah, called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And he starts all of the chapters with gangster rap quotes. <laughs> and, the, and the chapter that he talks about this is, if you're going to eat shit, don't nibble. And uh. if you're going to have to go through it, if you're going to go through it, you just got to get it all out of the way. And so just don't, you know, just, you just rip the Band-Aid off. And this is, I feel like, what a lot of people have to go once you, once you come to the realization that I failed. So you just, it was all internal. It was all, yeah, absolutely. This is failing. This, Yeah. Well, we, we, we succeeded. So we hit all our goals. And I said, why am I still bummed? And the reason I was bummed is because I wasn't. Uh, so so uh, Graham Weston, the chairman of Rackspace, he has a great phrase which says, everybody wants to be a valued member on a winning team on an inspiring mission. And I looked, at, I looked around at the company that I was at and I said, I am not inspired by this mission. Right? I don't want to wake up every morning to do this. This is not, this is not my gig. Um, I don't feel valued because I know that these founders just look at me as a means to get rich. And I said, they're not winners. And I only want to associate myself with winners. And once I realized that I considered myself a winner and they weren't, I said, I'm out. I'm just not going to associate myself with people like that. And so I, but it was, there was a lot of soul searching because you, I had to basically look, look in the mirror and go, you made a horribly, terribly inconsistent, you, you made a bad call, dude. And I had to, you know, talk myself, well, you know, you try to justify it. And I went, look, bad call. I'm an idiot. Let's just move on with my life and get over it. So I can drink a bunch of beers and listen to country music and get, you know, get on with my life. So a moment of clarity. Um, moment of clarity. Powered his through. But, I mean, for other folks that maybe aren't as thoughtful <laughs> and certainly not as handsome as Lorenzo, I what do they have that. to do? Thank I you. mean, does anybody have yet? Yeah, I have a comment that's more of a looking at it from like a holistic company perspective and not so much internal internal is extremely important and lorenzo just told a, a great story which is very important but also looking at and coming to the realization of how many pivots or iterations you actually have and can make is your runway for a business uh, excluding capital uh, but that's really the truth looking at how many pivots you can actually make is going to be the lifeline of your business um, and Measuring what you're doing is of extreme importance and measuring so specifically that it hurts. Um, you know, at Illumicore, we really use a method of kind of empirical testing. We actually use, and gosh, I got a biology degree from UTSA. I'm a science nerd at heart. I love technology, but I'm so thrilled that I can use the scientific method to actually run experiments for our company, and that is what we do. Measuring specifics, and you need to be measuring things, whether it's daily, weekly. We actually run weekly exper experiments at Illumicore. I know some companies that run experiments several times a day. But really being methodical about your hypotheses and your variables, your independent variables that you can measure, and staying away from fanfare, what I call fanfare metrics. 
Um, if you've read Lean Startup, you know, he calls it the vanity metrics. But you might have a million website hits, so what? You gotta drill down, you really gotta measure what's happening there. You might have 100,000 impressions on an ad campaign, so what? What's really happening there? So going beyond those metrics that keep you on the surface level, and those can really steer you in the wrong direction. So when we talk about failure, I say the more you can fail, the more you can learn. So in essence, you wanna to get to a point where you're almost experiencing failure more so you can learn. By using metrics and really measuring, you're really methodically learning a pathway either to success or you're learning and seeing a pathway to failure that will lead you to pivot in a quicker way. And the truth of the matter is, small companies are brilliant at measuring and learning in a short amount of time, that allows us to pivot so quickly. So many people worry about their ideas and the competition and large companies. The truth is in large companies to funnel an idea through an entire company takes a really long time. That's why small businesses have such a great economic impact. We can build something, we can measure its success, and if it doesn't work, we can pivot, sometimes within days, sometimes within months, which is fascinating. So I think if you can think about it in that way too, it's really, really helpful. So, I have Magali. something to add to that, actually, on the measurement side. Um, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, but I would also say that I, like we never measured anything, and it's also a good guide to know what your gut says for me and it really helped actually to not listen to everybody all the damn time and actually put blinders like a horse and move forward and that's actually the biggest advice i give everybody sometimes you just have to shut everybody out and so although yes i am with you and measurement is of course super valid but sometimes you have to fuck up just to fuck up fix it figure it out keep on going get your gut like your your team has so much validity in all of this just your thought i mean you're we're human right so we can just measure as much as we can measure but sometimes measuring all the time doesn't give us the right answer either Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. I got one more question and then we'll, we'll start Q&A. Um, I'm the CEO of a company. I know it's failing. I really don't want anybody else to know it's failing, even though probably everybody else already knows <laughs> How do I, um, how important, how do I ask for help? You know, who should I be help? Who should I be asking for help? What do I need to do to get some valid advice? Anybody? Well, I mean, I think the first thing that you're going to have to do is get over not wanting anybody else to know that you're failing. Um, they're going to figure it out eventually, <laughs> right? Like, I think, you know, the big thing that founders have to realize in a startup is, that company that you envisioned when you're sitting in your apartment, like, you know, with the co-founders eating Cheetos, whiteboarding, going, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. Your company's never going to look like that, right? <laughs> never, ever, ever. Um, in fact, it's probably not even going to try to solve the same problem. It's probably not even going to have a similar name or <laughs> the same customer base. I mean, and that's why pivots exist. I think that the thing that I would tell that particular founder is you have to embrace change or you will fail. And that whole idea of fail fast to me is the worst advice you can give somebody. Uh, failure hurts when you like shut down a company. It sucks. There's nothing that's you know worse that I've experienced anyway. It's like losing a loved one. Um, it's much better to make some changes, to pivot, 
to try to keep the, the good parts that are there, the team, and move forward. And to do that, you have to be honest with yourself and with possibly your customers and with your team and say, what's happening is not working. That thing that we whiteboarded out and thought was going to be our company isn't going to be the dream. But look at all these other things. Look, we have this redacting software that's awesome. Let's, let's spin that out. Let's identify the things that work. I have a parent company that can then benefit from all the exposure. Whatever it is, there's always a silver lining. Find it pivot, make the change, and then regroup and go forward. But I mean, the biggest thing that I think you have to have in a startup environment as a founder is what we call brutal honesty. We constantly are, you know, grok one of the mantras is just be brutally honest because it's so much easier, right? To your customers, to your coworkers, to yourself, to your family, whatever. So I'll, uh, plus one, everything Jason said, I think it's a great illusion to think if you're a founder or a CEO that nobody can figure out what's going on. It's like parents fighting and thinking the kids don't know what's going on, right? Like, you know your parents are fighting and it's awkward and it's just awkward, right? You know they're fighting. And people understand when you're having problems in your company and you just, look, when you fake it, you just look completely, you look moronic. And so I think that you just have to just really be in tune with, with what is the reality of the situation? What is, what is the truth? I also think that, you know, every company has kind of a board of directors, but I actually think that everybody personally needs their own set of personal board of directors. Like, you know, going back to what I said earlier, you, uh, you know, there, are there are two or three people that you've deputized to speak truth in your life that will know they'll give it to you straight and say, you're totally self-deceived. You're, you know, you, you, you think you're better than you are and you just need to know that with love, because there are certain people that you'll allow to speak hard truths in your life. Like for me, it's not my family. I won't allow anyone in my family to speak truth in my life. There are people because I just they, they just know me and I you know it's it's just weird, right? But there are people that I grew up with that can say you're completely wrong and I'll accept every word that they're saying. And I think that that founders have to find those people that can speak truth because if you don't have it, you're just going to live in this world where you lie to yourself. Because I lie to myself all day, and then Christian tells me, "Hey, this is this product's not working," and we have to go, "Oh, my bad. That was my idea." So you deputize somebody. Yeah, I think I would say the same. It's like having your personal go-to people for sure has been incredible. But I would also say that for us, or for me specifically, it's been opening up to the team and always being super, super transparent and honest. And because your team is much, or at least my team is much smarter than I am for sure. And so getting their advice, their feedback, and, and how to like get it out of, of where it is, because I'm stuck, but they're not stuck. You know, mm. so it's I love being able to bounce that off. I want to take my answer back and take Magali's answer. All right. Oh, we, we retract my. Oh, yeah, my I'll, I'll edit it out. Uh, anybody else want to touch that before we go to the crowd? No. Does, does anyone have a question? Would they like to raise their hand or just shout it out? Christian. How do you make sure that you don't make that same mis uh, mistake twice? Right. You have like you have all the knowledge that you where you made a mistake in the past. And I think like there's nothing worse than like tripping on a rock twice, right? We're like I should have known it was there. Like when when I came on the path, I should have known that that happened. Uh, how do you make sure that that doesn't happen now, right? Because I don't think you guys want to go back like who you are now and then change what happened in the past. But you definitely want to make sure it doesn't happen. Is it just the board of directors, or you have to check yourself inside? How do you guys? Do well, honestly, that rock then changes into a big grassy knoll, and you trip on it anyway because it just changed form. Um, I don't think that, you, in my case, I feel like it's not like you're never going to make a mistake again. It's how it transforms and how you adapt to it and how it hurts you the next time and you pick yourself up and keep on going. That would be my... So I'll, I'll add something to that. I think the reason that, the reason that Startup Week is so valuable is that being in community with people that are going through a similar experience is actually very important, and it's an important part of the journey. So I've... There, Let's just take conflict. Telling someone that they're bad at their job, it's just, nobody's good at it, right? And if you're good at it, you're probably kind of messed up in the head. And you're the sinister person that really doesn't belong like in community. Uh, but and so it's, you know, I've, every, every manager that's had to fire someone has waited too long to fire them. That's just the way it is. By the time you realize you gotta fire someone, you're already uh, six months to a year too late. It's just the way it is. And everybody repeats that mistake. And so I think that one of the things you have to do is you have to constantly be searching for tools, tricks, books, right? People that have done it better, people that have a format for giving feedback right away, you know, and just constantly devouring that content and, 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 
and putting it out in the field and going, okay, this one doesn't work for me, this one does. But I think that you can never really stop searching for tools and tricks and tactics and books that really just sharpen, you know, sharpen your skills. That's my, that's my story. Go ahead. Yeah. You mentioned something before we were discussing this, but the, the issue is some people are perfectionists. They feel like you've got to get the product right. They can't stand the thought that their product is not excellent and great. And other people just put it out there, even though they know it's half done or half finished. And they feel that's better, just get it out there and do something and then, you know, fix it. Or, I mean, What's the question? So, so how do you how do you uh, how do you deal with this? I mean, you know, I, I tend to think I, I can't stand the thought of an unhappy customer. I can't stand the thought that. I didn't how do you get right. through to the perfectionist that yeah, yeah. shit's never going to be perfect? Yeah, that one's really hard. If you get the answer to it, I mean, please send me an email because uh, <laughs> I spent a lot of time trying to mentor people that are in that perfectionist boat and try to get them to just ship the product. Right? Let's get it out in front of customers. Um, Certainly the, the real answer is somewhere in the middle. Of those nine out of 10 or more startups that fail, some of them had a very polished product. Some of them had a great idea with no polish. A lot of it really just comes down to market fit. You know, you mentioned Steve Jobs earlier. The first Apple computer was made out of wood, but the market wanted personal computers so badly, even though nobody else in the world realized that a human would want a computer in their home this wooden box started selling like hotcakes and eventually became the gorgeous aluminum laptop that we have today. Um, certainly there's other, you know, if you're going into the luxury car market, you probably, if you're a startup, if you're Tesla, you want to release a six-figure car to be able to get out there and find that right person. So I think it depends on the, the startup that you're creating and whether or not you have the market fit. But I still think that the majority of those 10% or less that make it they got there by getting to the market early with a product that really fit, was really adopted. And then it's also much easier to raise the funds to go make that polished product or to get the revenue required to do so. And so sometimes it means putting a keyboard in a wooden box and, and selling that first. Later. Anybody else? Anybody else? Other market. questions? Yeah, you. And then we'll go back to you. Going back to your point about measuring everything, how do you prevent a culture, a culture going that's just focused on doing it for numbers? Chasing numbers. How do you prevent chasing, chasing numbers? numbers? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it would start with whether it's you or someone else in your company that can exemplify an example of really digging into those numbers and showing what those really reveal. And sharing that honestly with your team, right? I think you always need to have an environment where you and your team can do what I call interrogate reality. So things may look amazing and look like they're going well, but when you really interrogate reality, you think things are going north, but they're really going south. So I would really suggest that you or someone on your team that would be an advocate for what you wanna do really dive into those numbers, share them with the team, and see if it dictates something different than what you're currently measuring. I'm sorry, is the question more about being able to identify what your idea is, or? Let me rephrase it. Let's just simplify it. Do you have any advice specifically for young entrepreneurs? It's very broad. Take it wherever you like. So much. There's so much advice. And so quiet a panel. I have one. <laughs> Mine is, um, which I, when people ask me what, what piece of advice I like best is, you know, just keep on moving forward. Don't look to your sides, especially at first, because a lot of people have a lot of things to say, and they're not always good things or things that are valuable to you. Yeah, I'll jump onto that one a little bit. When I'm first starting to mentor companies, um, the first thing I tell them is like, 
disregard 99% of everything you hear from mentors. Because um, you're going to get mentor whiplash, first of all. You're going to go to three different people, give you three different pieces of advice, and it's like, well, which one of those do I take? The big thing when I go to my mentors is I expect over that hour of coffee, most of what they say is not going to apply to me. But that one thing that's really bothering me when I go home at night at like 7.30 at night and it's still just, I can't get it out of my brain, that maybe that's the thing that I need to concentrate on. And so, yeah, to, to, to kind of take with what Magalay said, like ignore what most people tell you, including us, as um, advice. But if there's something that really resonates with you, maybe that's what you should concentrate on. I'll also say that I think you got to make sure that whatever you're doing, you're very passionate about. And if it's something you pivot to, it has to be something that you can equally become passionate about because you need to be prepared to have this be your your second marriage or your second child because a company is that. It will consume every single waking moment um, and you'll be thinking about it and you'll see a bench and go, how is this bench you know, factoring geekdom? And can I, you, you, you see it everywhere. Every company that I've ever joined, I, 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 start, I said to myself, can I spend the next decade here? And that's what I'm always prepared to do. I'm always prepared to give a decade of my life to really go deep, to read every book there is, if I'm passionate. If I'm passionate about it, I will go absolutely to the ends of the earth. And so it's a, it's a really, it's a very um, emotion-laden journey, and you just gotta make sure it's worth it. You know, it can't be something that it's kind of a hobby, Make you know, because you're gonna put in some long hours, and you're gonna see the people you work with more than you see your family. First, let me give you some backstory. So I am part of a startup. That's so weird to say. Um, <laughs> but I am, but they, they kicked me out at, in January. But then because of a connection that I had mentioned last semester, now I'm like running alongside them, even though I'm part of a different group, but they still, now they need me again. And so I'm like, so am I in this or am I not in this? And it seems like she wants me to, co to continue being part of the group now. And so, but now I'm wondering, already the first red flag is team development. And she's also three years younger than me, and I think she doesn't think I'm like wise or something. Or I don't think she understands just like the experience that I have that she doesn't have. And so she just kind of thought I was disposable. And so, I really, if she does want me back, one of the first things I want to address is team maintenance. And like, what do you do in your companies that help you keep the team maintained? Because it's not always just about the idea at every waking moment. It's also about the people you're working with and you're still humans at the end of the day. And so like, what advice do you have for the maintenance of your team, the people you work with? Well, I love my team. And that's like the most important thing in my company, that's Word. for sure. Um, but I would say, hearing your story, if I were you, if that's what you're asking, what to do, maybe not, I don't know. But I mean, look, if, if it's already starting this way and these are the feelings that you're feeling clearly from what you're telling me and I'm seeing in your face and how you're actually expressing about it, it's not, it does, it's not starting well. Yep. So if it's not starting well, let me assure you, it's not gonna end well. So it doesn't matter how team development happens. Right. It's, if it didn't start well, it's not gonna end well. So this for you, if it were me, I would learn and say, wow, it's really important to make sure that, you know how I hire? Do you know how I hire? It really sucks because top grading anything out the door. But it's I meet with them and if I fall in love like with the person, with the spark of the personality, I don't care about anything else. I love them as people and I know that I will be able to get along with them and train them and coach them through anything. So, you know, obviously they have to have some ability, right, in certain things. But so if you, it, when you form another team, that's what you need to think of. Amen. Yeah, plus one. Look, my dad always said, if in doubt, there's no doubt. And there's all kinds of doubt in your story. Um, never, never beg someone to go on a date with you. Uh, you know, if you if you want to be a valued member on a winning team, you know, you need to feel valued. And if you don't feel valued, you just need to opt out. Everybody, everybody has veto power. Um, everybody can opt out of it. And I think that 
Uh, also, just like in dating, you can't change the other person. Uh, man, if I love them more, they can, we can just change them. If we have a baby, it'll get better, right? And you know, if someone if someone sucks at team building and and developing their staff, you're you're not going to come in there with an award winning book and in methodology, and that's just the way they are. And I think you got to cut your losses and and create the company that you want to work for. And if you think there's no other options for you, you got to change that thinking too. I mean, you have. Look at all the people just sitting in this room. Look at the opportunities. So I agree with the sentiments everyone else said. Definitely. Amen. Can I change the, the question a little bit? You guys are leaders, and you may love your employees, but if you have bad systems in place, your employees may not love you. Um, I've, I once heard someone say that bad systems are disrespectful to employees, and that can really cause some resentment. So how do you ensure for these small teams especially uh, that you have good systems in place. That's very well, I think you have to do the same thing you do with a startup. Um, like I said, you sit around in the whiteboard, you come up with this great idea of what your company's going to be. But until you go do customer development and ask your customers, would you buy this? You really just have an idea, right? And some validation from mom. Um, I think you have to do the same thing with your team and your employees. You have to sit down with them and say, "Are you happy? What makes you know? What can we change to make you happy? What's wrong with the picture? What can we do to make the picture better?" Um, if you're not doing development with your team, then that's and you're ignoring their needs. It's the same thing as ignoring your customers' needs, and those end in the same result. You'll be part of that nine out of ten. Any other questions? Yeah. Text. Oh. Lorenzo, you talked earlier about if you're really passionate about something, you'll dedicate 10 years of your life to it minimum. Um, I guess my question is, you know, as someone recently coming out of the college thing with like the, hey, this is the job where you'll work for the next 40 years type of deal, like work till you retire. Um, when you're starting a startup, do you think of it in the next like 10 years, like I'll get this 10 years and I'm out? Or do you think of it, this is till I retire, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life? Well, I think I, uh, that's a great question. I think the way that I look at it is I'm willing to go all in until there is a compelling milestone that makes me step back and go, is this, is this the area where I need to pause and go, there might be a different outcome here. And so I joined uh, the, start, the SEO startup all in, and I was ready to go all in until red flag after red flag after red flag kept coming up. And I just said, look, we are now at a milestone, which is we're about to run out of money. What do I really want to do? And when I went back to the, do I want to spend 10 years, put my reputation on the line, raise investors' money for these guys, to me, the, it was a very clear milestone moment where I said, the answer is absolutely not. Let me just, let me just get on with my life as soon as possible and go to the next thing. But that was, you know, that was an eight to nine month little sprint right there. And I had every intention of going all in for as long as possible, but the, 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 the environment changed. And really, you know, to to what the panelists have been saying, you just have to be able to read the offense and go, okay, it's actually shifting, and I need to shift with it. My phone has now died, so we'll take one more question. I have no idea what time it is. It's eight thirty. It's eight thirty. So last question. <laughs> what is the worst startup idea that you've heard? <laughs> wow! All our children are beautiful. I have a great one. I have a great one. <laughs> that went a different direction. Wow. Yeah, I, I've got, I've got two. Oh. Well, me, I'll start because I've got really one like right at the tip. No, 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 go, 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 girl. So I had this team come to my office one day and they're like, look, we really need to meet with you. I was like, okay, not a problem. So they come to the office and they're like, look, we have an idea. I'm thinking like it's like a social media platform that like shows a lot of pictures and you can like put <laughs> pictures up and then you can like create like boards, you know, oh, like so like awkward. like boards. And I'm thinking, I know they're fucking with me because it can't be true that they're telling me this. And I'm like, um, okay, okay, there must be something else here. What's the catch? What's the catch? And so then they, we finish the meeting and they're like, and I'm like, have you have have you seen Pinterest? by any chance like do you know what Pinterest is <laughs> so I literally like I grab my computer I show it and I'm like they're like that's it they and stole our like, idea they stole our idea yeah that's it yeah that was funny did you did they cry 
It was, it was, I break people's, you know, I yeah. really hurt people's feelings all the time, yeah, but it's okay. I mean, you have to, right? You have to. And then another one that was actually a terrible idea, but then we ended up actually creating it into an incredible idea and we're really excited about is this product that this, that they wanted it to like be this sort of like branding, self branding tool. Like, so, again, everybody wants to do like social media networks. And we ended up doing um, something incredibly cool and it's not launched yet so I can't really talk about it but it's going to launch soon and I think it's going to be a tremendous hit. So I, I have two short quick stories. The first one was, they're both Rackspace stories. So uh, in 2004 we had this company that wanted to do online videos um, that, were, that was funded by Sequoia come up and, and at that time we had a really big customer, an Israeli company called Meta Cafe that did videos. And so we got a call from Sequoia because they had funded Rackspace and they said, hey, there's this new company called YouTube and they need 20 servers online overnight. And we were like, video online, these guys are so late to the game. They're totally gonna fail. And so we put 20 servers online in downtown San Antonio and like the next month they doubled and then they doubled and I was, and I was in London at the time working there and I said, who is this company that just keeps doubling their revenue every month? But at the like every person at Rackspace was like video online these guys are so lame they're so late to the game they're totally gonna fail and the second one was a customer that I used to manage and they uh, and I've heard the story you know my staff has heard it ad nauseum um, and they were in the online dating category and when I when I saw their website I was like this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my entire life but they paid an obscene amount of money and so here it is I'm single and I own a horse and I want to meet someone else who's single and owns a horse, equestriansingles.com. And they paid, I'm not even tell you how much they paid us. They were swimming in cash like Scrooge McDuck. And I used to sit there and watch their, you know, almost 50 server configuration just grow every month. And I was going, how are these guys doing it? But there's riches and niches. Riches and niches. Uh, I have no idea, to be honest. I, 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 that's a great question. I. I should actually know the answer to that, and I'm ashamed that I don't. All right. We are done. Let's thank our panel one more time. Cheers. I think think they still have beer, so go do that. All right. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.